All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of Southeast Toots Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. Today's episode of the podcast is a special mailbag edition. Going to start doing these uh, probably weekly now as we get closer to the start of the 2017-18 season. Uh, a lot of you guys are highly anticipating this season. You are very excited. In that show, when I put out the tweet on Twitter uh, and talking about, you know, we're going to do another mailbag and boy, we got a lot of questions this time around, I think around 10 or so. Uh, so let's go ahead and just dive into the questions. Uh, let's get started with at uh, Andrew Parrish1 on Twitter. That is Andrew Parrish, which if you know the name, he does some work for us now at SoutheastTubes.com, doing some great stuff. Uh, he's done a lot of player previews and stuff like that. Uh, so be sure to check out Andrew's work there on the site. But he asks, uh, how do you see Galen Smith factoring into Avery Johnson's rotation you know at media day i tweeted out um how avery johnson was talking about how smith was kind of battling in there with dante hall daniel giddens um you, you know in practice because i think someone asked him specifically about giddens and hall and, and you know avery johnson made sure before he even responded he said well you got to throw you know galen smith in there as well because he's someone who's kind of playing well in practice maybe and being able to kind of uh, you know, at least push those guys, which is something you need. I mean, that's something that's kind of overlooked. Uh, you have a freshman like that who, I mean, let's be honest, Smith is probably, you know, playing well, but is he going to get those minutes over Giddens and Hall? I mean, it's going to be tough, I think, especially when you consider the two roles for those guys. Uh, it'll probably be difficult for him as a freshman to move ahead. But, you know, again, you think about kind of what he brings to the table, and, you know, not only him, but we talk about, you know, like Galen Smith. I mean, he's a 6'9 kid. He's a freshman. He's going to have to learn some. But then, you know, there's another 6'9 kid there as well, and Alex Reese. Both of those guys are forwards. They're going to help them into the future. So, if anything, uh, they could get some spot minutes here or there, and just kind of depending on, you know, maybe what's needed. But I think they're going to get valuable minutes this season, even if there's not a lot. I think guys like that are going to be able to kind of, you know, there are going to be situations where, Maybe Hall or Giddens, you know, one of them's in foul trouble, one of them's fouled out. Uh, you know, if the other needs to come out or something like that, you've got to have one of those guys that can step in. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I know we'll see. We'll kind of learn more about him and maybe what his role is. But I think when you look at the depth of Alabama, um, you know, it could be hard to see him playing a lot of minutes this year. But I do think just like this entire freshman class, and we're going to talk about another one later on, uh, someone has a question on another one of those guys. Uh, it's just, boy, I mean, they all have potential. They all have a lot of talent. Just a matter of seeing how they kind of fit into the rotation going forward. So uh, the next question is from at Gator Tornado. He asks, which team has the toughest non-conference schedule in the SEC? And then follows that up with which SEC team will have the best non-conference resume? Well, I'll say this. I mean, there have a lot of teams in this conference that, that have really scheduled up. Uh, because I think they know kind of what that's going to do for them uh, going into a competitive league play like we're going to see this year. A lot of these coaches knew that they would have to schedule up uh, because that's really the only way their teams are going to be able to be prepared for the grind of the SEC season. And so I'll be honest with you in that some of these schedules are kind of hard to differentiate just on paper because we can really only go by 
what we project certain teams to be this year and maybe look at what their success was last season. Uh, but if you look around the league, and this is not to leave anyone off that's kind of not put in this group, because I, like I said, I think if you look at just the league in general, we've seen non-conference schedules get a lot tougher in the SEC in recent years uh, due to some of the things that have been put in place to encourage that. Uh, you look back at last year, I mean, teams that kind of stand out, Vanderbilt and Florida last year, you know, played two of the toughest schedules in the entire country, and that kind of benefited both of those teams uh, in getting to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, we know Florida made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, but if we look around at this year's schedules, I mean, just going through a lot of these teams, I mean, you know, you can start at the top alphabetically. I mean, look at Alabama's schedule. They've got some tough games in there. Um, you know, they're playing teams that could very well, you know, be top 15 type teams. When you think about a team like Minnesota, uh, even Rhode Island's a team that is an A-10 favorite, someone who, who could be in that top 15 in the, in the country at some point this season. And then the, the obvious ones, when you think about Arizona playing at Arizona, uh, Texas and Oklahoma also in there as well. I think Alabama definitely has one of the tougher schedules. Uh, going on down, you know, Arkansas's got some tough games too. I mean, Arkansas's probably looking around, and, you know, they're in the PK-80 as we know, which we know how tough that field is, but... Beyond that, you know, they've got games against teams like Houston. I mean, Minnesota, um, you know, a team, a team like Samford, who is someone that is kind of going to fly under the radar, but they're a team I think could be really, really good this year and be one of those NCAA tournament teams uh, that could win a game or two just because of their makeup. Um, and, you know, I mean, looking, looking across the board again, it's hard to go through every single team's schedule at this point and know what we're going to get, but I really like Florida's schedule. Mike White's always scheduled tough there so far in the time he's been there. We know that they're going to do that. I mean, they're also in the PK-80, of course. Uh, Kentucky is Kentucky. They're going to play tough games. Uh, we know Kansas is on the schedule there, UCLA, Louisville. Uh, they got West Virginia in that, in that Big 12 SEC not, uh, challenge game. So uh, another one that may kind of, you know, turn out to be a, pr- a pretty tough schedule, I think, is LSU. Will Wade there. I mean, he's got them – you know, we talked about Sanford. They're on the schedule first, but they also play in the Maui Invitational. They've got Michigan for sure there. Uh, play a couple of teams that, that maybe you're kind of going to take a little bit of a step back from where they were a year ago. Uh, UNC Wilmington's one of those teams kind of, to me, that comes to mind on that. Uh, but they also travel to, to a place like Memphis, which could be tough. Elsewhere, you know, I think that Texas A&M's schedule is, is really, really tough. I mean, you look at their schedule – in what they could play. They open up the season against West Virginia and Germany. Uh, they're at USC. They have Arizona. And, of course, they're at Kansas in the Big 12 uh, SEC Challenge. So I think Texas A&M, just if you talk, if you talk about the big-time games, you know, there are four teams, I think, on Texas A&M's schedule, West Virginia, USC, Arizona, Kansas, that are all top-10 type teams. And, you know, they could be there once we get to the end of the season. I don't know that anyone else in the SEC has that on their schedule in terms of having that many teams that you could kind of consider to be in the top 10. I mean, maybe Kentucky, like we talked about, with teams like Kansas, um, you know, UCLA, Louisville, West Virginia, all those teams certainly have that possibility as well. Uh, but just big-time, you know, teams on there, and maybe the teams at the bottom kind of kind of cancel that out uh, if we talk about overall toughness of a schedule because Texas A&M also has – uh, you know, they also have teams that are probably going to struggle this year when we talk about, you know, maybe like a Prairie View of Savannah State, those kind of teams. 
And then Vanderbilt is probably one of the teams that has one of the more underrated non-conference schedules, maybe because, you know, no one except Vanderbilt fans are probably looking at it right now. But if you look at Vanderbilt's schedule from top to bottom, uh, there are some pretty tremendous games on there. Uh, USC, Virginia, Kansas State, Middle Tennessee, Arizona State, TCU. Um, there's a lot of good games on there. They play Belmont as well. It's a road game at Belmont. That's going to be a tough atmosphere. Even if Belmont, you know, loses Evan Braz, they, they may take a tiny step back, but still probably the OVC favorite. Um, and, you know, I just think Vanderbilt's schedule could be very, very tough when you consider kind of what's to come in the SEC side of things. Uh, so there's a lot in there, and it's really hard to, again, pinpoint one because all we can really go on is just by looking at it on paper. And if you look at it on paper, there, there's just so many good games, I think, on these non-conference schedules as we've seen these teams schedule tougher. And so for the follow-up question on that, you know, which team will have the best non-conference resume? Look, I mean, if Kentucky and Texas A&M win those games like we talked about against those potential top 10 teams, boy, they could come out looking really, really good. Uh, because, you know, that's kind of, you know, if you win all four of those games, we're talking about being a top five type of team going into conference play. Now, will that happen for each of those teams? I don't know. I mean, more than likely, they're probably not going to win all four of those. Uh, But, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But again, it's hard to pinpoint just one right now uh, because there's just, there's so many good games around the league. So, uh, thanks for the question, though. Really good stuff, and we'll digest that more as we get to the start of the season and kind of see how some of these teams are starting to shape up. Uh, next question is from uh, at UGA Hoops Blog. Uh, just recently connected with them. Do do some great work over there talking about Georgia hoops. Uh, which UGA player do you think will be the most improved from last year, Crump, Harris, or Diada? Um, I'm going to go with probably Harris, but... Crump could equally equally be in that mix just because we know those guards are going to get opportunities this year uh, with J.J. Frazier gone. So you've got that entire group that it seems like we've been talking about all offseason now uh, with Crump, Harris, uh, Turtle Jackson, Juwan Parker. That whole group right there is going to get an opportunity to really prove themselves, get a lot of playing time on the floor. And, and really it's just a matter of seeing, you know, of those four, who are the guys that are really going to step into their roles and maybe cement themselves, you know, as that go-to guard. Um, And they have options. That's what Mark Fox has. He has some options there. And so at least that gives Georgia, uh, you know, a chance to to say, hey, even if one of these guys can't be that go-to 100% resource all the time, if we have a couple of these guys that can just contribute consistently, we're going to be okay. But with Harris, what I like with him, you know, I mean, percentage-wise, he shot 45% from three last year. Now, he didn't take a ton. I mean, he took less than 53s, I think, on the year. But that three-point shooting ability is probably going to be pretty valuable on a team that that may kind of struggle in that area because I don't see a a ton of great knockdown shooters from three on this team. We know Yontay Maiden's kind of extended his range a bit, but, um, you know, I don't see a ton of that. So maybe Harris kind of gets the nod there, and you hope that Crump's going to be a little bit better uh, you know, as, as a freshman, just, just kind of had sort of those typical freshman problems where, you know, you're still adjusting to certain things within the game, the speed of the game, finding that consistency on both ends of the floor. So I'm, I'm going to go with Harris out of that group just because I think he can kind of really make his impact in shooting the ball well. Uh, but Crump's also someone that can shoot the three, we know. So either one of those guys I think are going to kind of take a step forward just because they're going to have a lot more opportunity uh, in that backcourt. 
uh, with Frazier gone. So uh, thanks for the question. Next up is at a Terry 65 Andrew Terry, a regular here on the mailbags. And he asked, do you think any of the SEC coaches are nearing the hot seat? If so, who? You know, I've kind of changed on this maybe at some point this offseason. When you look around the league, um, you know, we kind of went into the offseason talking about it, and a lot of people were throwing out just some wild things in terms of some of the coaches that could be on the hot seat. You know, some people, whether it's Tennessee fans or Mississippi State fans, are unhappy that maybe they haven't turned the corner with Rick Barnes and Ben Hallen yet and all this stuff. But that's just it's just complete nonsense uh, right now. And I know the one a lot of people are going to point to, we just talked about Georgia. I think there are going to be some people that point to Mark Fox and wonder kind of maybe what's next. Uh, some people, myself included, didn't really know what would happen last year if they missed the NCAA tournament. Uh, but we kind of we saw how that played out in terms of, you know, Georgia backed him, you know, about as, as hard as you could probably back him after the season and just kind of said, you know, hey, he's our guy. And going into this year, knowing the landscape of the SEC and what it could be this year, just how difficult um, it's going to be, you know, I don't know. I mean, it could be one of those deals where Georgia may be a better team this year than they were last year record-wise and still may have a hard time getting to the NCAA tournament just because that's sort of the challenges. And so how do you grade a guy on that? Um, I still think Mark Fox is a pretty good coach. We've seen the talent he's brought in there. It's just got to come together and equal more of a, you know, being a team that can regularly get to the tournament. But look, that's what we've been saying all offseason is it's easy to say that, but when you see how much the league is improving year by year, and to where it is now, where it could be the second, maybe third best conference in the country this year, uh, that that's really hard to gauge. And I think it's kind of tough if you look at it from the outside and say, hey, you know, before any of these programs across the SEC start looking at their coach and saying, boy, we need to make a change because we've got a win-win-win now, uh, you got to understand that the competition is really kind of gearing up now and knowing what you have to do on the recruiting trail. And, boy, it's just something where it's going to be continually tough uh, to stay at the top year after year and be able to to kind of keep that consistently consistency that we've seen programs like you know Kentucky and Florida do throughout the years uh, that's not easy to do so I don't really know if I would put anyone on there right now to be honest with you I mean I, I know like I said I, I know people are probably going to bring up Fox uh, just because um, you know what happened towards the end of last year it seemed like there was a lot of rumblings last year that that maybe something could happen and such. Uh, but I don't really see anything else. And, you know, you have to look at the FBI stuff, too. What else comes out of that? We have no idea right now. Uh, if there's anything in that that kind of puts fire uh, to some of these coaches around the, the conference, which, you know, again, we have no idea. So uh, maybe that plays in, into the to the mix. But right now, uh, I'm going to say, you know, everyone's kind of going into the season with the expectation that, hey, our team can make the NCAA tournament. Um, and, you know, that that's pretty incredible when you think about the entire league as a whole. And, look, even LSU's a team that I've said many times, they, they're picked 14th in pretty much every preseason poll you find, including mine. But uh, would it surprise me if LSU, you know, won some games and really became the surprise of the league? No, because that's just kind of the, the, the situation that we're in now here in the SEC. So uh, thanks for the question, Andrew. Moving on. Uh, we go to at Evil AD Burn on Twitter. Uh, he asks, uh, we've heard some talk about Herb Jones being a sleeper. How will the Tide incorporate him into the rotation, and what can we expect from him? 
Um, that's a good question because he is kind of the sleeper and really, you know, beyond Colin Sexton and John Petty, like we talked about earlier, I think maybe sometimes we kind of undervalue the rest of this Alabama freshman class because of what is in front of them with those two powerhouses. But, you know, a guy like Jones, I mean, look at this guy. Um, you know, I think he's going to find a way to get minutes when you're a six, seven guard, that's very attractive because, you know, he has the athleticism, he has the length, and when you have that at that guard position, we know Avery Johnson's going to try to instill defense in every single person that comes through that program. If he can be a defensive guy that can really help him on that end of the floor because he's not someone who's going to have to score because they already have those kind of scores on offense. So I think Jones may be finding, carving out a role uh, in those kind of areas, but maybe it's one of those deals where, look, I mean, just kind of seeing how these guys progress, maybe they pass some of the other guys that are in front of them as the season goes along. You never know, because when you have a lot of talented freshmen, sometimes certain guys are going to develop quicker than others, and you find spots in the rotation. If a guy's developing quicker than expected, you're going to find minutes for him. Uh, But that's one of the luxuries that Alabama's going to have, is that not only can they return to these returners like Key and Ingram and those kind of guys, Avery Johnson Jr., Riley Norris, but they can turn to these younger guys and feel pretty comfortable kind of putting them in there with these other guys and knowing that you're still going to have a pretty good chemistry going. Uh, but I think Herb Jones, again, is someone that could be kind of a breakout player uh, you know, here over the next year or two just because he has that size for that position. And that's something, like I said, that, that makes him a very attractive player on any team just because – uh, what he can kind of do there, and you know, just being able to add that scoring threat, be a threat on defense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because I think he is someone that's kind of, you know, there's been a lot of positive buzz around him this off season, and he'll be someone that's interesting to see kind of what his role turns out to be going forward. So uh, thanks for the question there. Uh, moving on, next question is from at the Phil Jordan. He is on Twitter as well, and he is someone that hosts a a really good podcast. It's called Sideline Review. Uh, he's he's in Alabama as well. Be sure to check out his podcast. Does a really good job interviewing a lot of guys. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And he asks, will Auburn be able to turn the corner this season and make the postseason? Um, my answer stays the same as what it's been pretty much the entire offseason now. I think Auburn's an NCAA tournament team. Uh, even with all the stuff that, that's going on with the FBI situation and Chuck Person, uh, I still think Auburn has the talent to make the NCAA tournament. I, I wound up slotting them sixth in my preseason rankings. But like I said in there, I mean, I could put Auburn at five and feel okay. I could also see Auburn slipping if the defense doesn't get better and, and not being in that discussion. But I'm going to kind of bank on Auburn being a much better defensive team. We talked about how guys like Davion Mitchell, uh, Chumo Kiki, those kind of guys are going to really help on the defensive end of the floor. Two young guys that can come in there and make an impact. We still want to wait and see, you know, what's going to be the impact of guys like Deshaun Murray, Malik Dunbar. I think both those guys are going to help as well. Auburn is deep, and that's we always seem to talk about that with Auburn. They're a very deep team. They just have to keep guys healthy. They have to play better defense. Uh, Austin Wiley has been dealing with, with the knee injury, you know, here over the past month or two now. He's got to be healthy. He's got to be 100%. Uh, but the good news there is that they get a guy like Horace Spencer back who's going to give them a lot of quality minutes, I think, a uh, good defensive presence. So right now, you know, Auburn to me is an NCAA tournament team. I think they get in. 
and I think they have the talent that it takes to be a top-half team in the SEC. Thanks for the question on that one. Moving on, we go to at Gene Loblaw on Twitter. Uh, he asks, how much stock do you put in Missouri's win over Kansas in the exhibition game? He later corrected himself, uh, just talking about Missouri's performance there. Uh, Kansas won the game, but I think, you know, like all of us know, the result doesn't really matter when you talk about just the overall score and such and these kind of games. But, you know, I think the second question is important, and it's a good question. Kind of does it validate that Mizzou is for real? Um, I talked about on yesterday's podcast that you can't put a lot into these these exhibition games, but for a team like Missouri, you can put a little bit more into it just because we know how big the changes have been from last year and how sort of what the expectations are for this team going into this season. But, I mean, you saw, if anyone watched the game, you could kind of tell, you know, they matched up very well. You know, for the game that it was in that kind of setting, I mean, like we said, it's not a regular season game. It's not a postseason game. You're not getting everything that you would get if it was in one of those settings. But if you look out on the floor and you see some of these guys and maybe what the potential is in a regular game, I think you have to feel good if you're a Missouri fan. I think you have to feel good not only just about having Michael Porter Jr., but you have to feel good about the potential to play a lot of different guys. I mean, Blake Harris was a starter at point guard. What does that mean? We don't know. But, you know, he, he was they, they thought he was good enough to put out there to start with that first group ahead of Terrence Phillips, which I still think Terrence Phillips is someone that could have a breakout year, depending on how big his role is. Um, but you look elsewhere, and Cassius Robertson, his three-point shot is going to give Missouri a big boost, I think. Uh, Jeremiah Tillman, we've talked about him over the past week or so, sort of being that really underrated guy that people are forgetting about just because the Porter brothers are there. Uh, but Tillman, I mean, this guy is high energy. I think if he's someone who could step in at any time, be a factor on either end of the floor, and again, that just adds to the depth of having all those big bodies. Uh, we're talking about all those guys being at 6'10", the Porter brothers, Tillman. Guys like that, I mean, they have a lot of good size, and that's going to help on defense. So I don't really put any stock in the result, but I do put some stock in, in kind of looking at Missouri and saying, hey, that depth that, that we thought they would have is probably going to be there. And so it's going to make them a very dangerous team as long as everyone kind of stays healthy. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned guys like Jordan Barnett, Kevin Perrier as well, who are going to play, you know, uh, important roles for this team. So they, they have a lot, of, a lot of ways they can go. And I think that's why Missouri is towards the top of the SEC here in the preseason, just because they have the depth needed to compete with a lot of different teams in this conference. And uh, a couple more questions here. We go to at Amity Island Law on Twitter. Uh, He asks, many have UGA on the outside looking in this year as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Is that how you see it as well? Uh, You know, I mentioned earlier in talking about Georgia, I could see Georgia finishing fifth. I could see Georgia finishing 13th. That, to me, is kind of showing the room for error and how small that margin is for a lot of different teams in the SEC this year. If the guard play is there, uh, Yontay Maiden is who we think he is, and he stays healthy. And you see guys, you know, like Rayshon Hammonds, the freshman, makes a big impact. Derek Ogbede is as good as I think he's going to be uh, in taking that next step forward. Georgia could be an NCAA tournament team. I mean, we talked about it already. I mean, Lindy's had him third in their preseason magazine. Uh, that's maybe a little too high for my liking, but can Georgia be an NCAA tournament team? Absolutely. However, it's all dependent on those guards. 
Can they find the depth at that position? Can they find, you know, someone that can be consistent enough and add a scoring threat? Because otherwise, everyone's going to put all their attention on Mayton and make these other guys beat him. And that's where Georgia, they, they don't have to have a J.J. Frazier. None of those guys are going to step in and be J.J. Frazier. Three or four of them at a time are not going to be J.J. Frazier. They just have to have a couple from that guard group uh, be the consistent contributors that they need. If they can get that, keep everyone else kind of, you know, defensively they're going to be very good in the paint, I think. Um, and they're going to be able to rebound well. I mean, Mayton and, and Ogbeda are two, two of the best rebounders in the SEC, so that's not going to be an issue. They've just got to take care of the ball with those guards. If they can do that, they're going to be fine. If they don't, like I said, I can see Georgia being a team that falls out of the NCAA tournament race and, you know, maybe struggles at times this year, especially on the road. So uh, Georgia's definitely in that mix, you know, of, of all those different teams that could be right there in the NCAA tournament conversation towards the end of the year. So, And finally, we go to at the SEC Hoops feed on Twitter. Uh, you're going to love this feed going forward. Just keep that in mind. Uh, just be sure to follow it at the SEC hoops feed. Uh, be sure to follow that feed. We'll talk about that feed here in a second on that account here on Twitter. So, uh, let's get to the question though, as we wrap up here, we've all heard the talk of all the teams that will be approved at the SEC this year. Who are some teams that will take a step back? It's a really good question because a lot of people have to remember your team can be better this year, but you can still kind of be lower in the rankings because of how good the rest of the conference is going to be. But in specifically answering this question, uh, who are some teams that could take a step back? Everyone knows where I'm going first on this, and it's an easy choice, I think, uh, when you think about how last season ended. But South Carolina made the Final Four last year. They lost to Darius Thornwell. They lost P.J. Dozier. They lost to Wayne Notice, where Kim Felder suspended indefinitely. Four guys that were important contributors on that team are gone. So South Carolina is going to take a step back. I do not see South Carolina making the Final Four this year. However, if all those other guys step up, you know, we all picked Frank Martin low. I mean, the media poll picked him 11th. Everyone knows where I picked him. Um, I think it's one of those deals where South Carolina still can be good enough to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, But I think if you ask, you know, the teams that are going to take a step back, I just cannot imagine South Carolina being as good this year as they were last year. Uh, but every time I say that, Frank Martin finds a way to do something and get this team even further along than we ever expected. So uh, I'm going to continue to do the thing where I pick against Frank Martin and you know say that his team's going to take a step back. Uh, so you should probably just expect that South Carolina will be just as good or better than they were last year. Uh, moving on, a couple other teams just to kind of look at when we look at last season, kind of how it turned out. Um, you know, I, I have Arkansas 7th, which is a step back from where they were last year. I mean, I don't think Arkansas is going to take a, a huge step back. But I do think the potential is there. When you look at that roster with Moses Kingsley gone, Dusty Hannah's gone, the biggest replacement question is with Kingsley and what they're going to do in the paint. They have to have those guys step up in there, the, the Trey Thompsons, the Dustin Thomases, uh, you know, those guys of the world, you know, Dan, Daniel Gafford, they've got to have someone in there be what Kingsley was and be able to add that consistency on both ends of the floor. Uh, otherwise, that could be an area of concern. I mean, we know they have Macon and Barford. We know they're going to run up and down the floor, play very good defense, but they've got to have that to be a team that can kind of stay on that level that they were at last year where, you know, they're a player or two away from beating North Carolina, getting to the Sweet 16. Um, you know, Vanderbilt's a team – 
I don't think Vanderbilt's going to take a huge step back, but they do have a huge guy to replace in Luke Cornett. And I think there's there's another situation where, like we talked about with Kingsley at Arkansas, Vanderbilt's got to figure out some things in the front court. If they do that, their guards are really, really good. And, you know, they have three seniors there. That experience for Vanderbilt with LaChance, Matthew Fisher-Davis, uh, Jeff Roberson, having seniors like that who have pretty much seen it all in the SEC, they've been all over the place, they know how to win on the road, that's going to be important for this team. But I do think, you know, there's a potential for Vanderbilt to take a minor step back if they can't figure out how to pl- replace Cornette. Uh, so that's something to kind of watch out for as well. But just like all those other teams, the Commodores are right there in the mix to be in the NCAA tournament again uh, for what would now what would be the third straight season. So uh, those are just a couple teams. I mean, there are others probably out there. You can look at the entire league and say, hey, you know, I could see some of these teams stepping back just because of how good the level of competition is. I mean, even Kentucky. I mean, look, I'm not saying Kentucky's not good enough, talented enough to to make you know, an Elite Eight, but it is going to take this team longer to come together, I think, and there's going to be probably more struggles in the non-conference that there's been in, in several years for this Kentucky team just because I think they got some things to figure out there. But if it all comes together, Kentucky can be one of the you know top five teams in the country. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So that'll do it for today's episode of the Southeast Tubes podcast. Really enjoyed all the questions. You guys do a great job with this every time we do it. Uh, so every time I put the tweet out, be sure to keep sending those in. Uh, and obviously, even if you have questions at any time, just send them over to me on Twitter at the Blake Level. Uh, several of you already do that. Throw them over here. We'll talk SEC basketball. Always a lot of fun uh, to do. And be sure you subscribe to our own iTunes. Search for Southeast Tubes. That way you don't miss any of these podcast episodes. Also, we added a cool new feature over on the site. Go to southeasttubes.com. I talked about at the SEC Hoops feed on Twitter. Uh, did an awesome work in helping me put together uh, the 2018 conference schedule for the SEC as a printable schedule. Uh, go take a look at that. You can find it on the menu bar there on the site. Uh, you'll see it up there alongside like about, staff, podcast, all that stuff on that top row. Check it out because it's a printable schedule. It's, it's an awesome thing. It gives you a good way to kind of track the, the events of the conference schedule this upcoming season. It shows every team's opponent, uh, goes through the entire slate, You'll have to look at it to see what I'm talking about, but print it out, look at it, give it to friends, anyone who's interested in SEC hoops, give them a chance to look at it because it's a really cool thing. Uh, hang it up on your on your door, wherever you want to put it. Uh, it's a cool resource, so check that out. Uh, but thank you as always for listening to the podcast, and I will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>